Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Let's grab a seat. Great to be here. Thank you for your invitation and thanks for the opportunity. Thank you to Deadly Dave for inviting me here this morning. I do appreciate that opportunity to be here. Thanks so much for that. And uh, it's good to be able to come on and welcome again to all the, like me, all the dads and granddads and to everyone else, happy to Father's Day and for everyone else, happy Sons and Daughters Day because uh, we all are somewhere along the track. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come this morning, that we can learn and grow. We thank you that we come to a Father who's great and extraordinary and amazing and who wants the best for his children. And we thank you for that, Lord. Just speak to us by your word and by your spirit today. We would pray. Amen. Hey, uh, you had on the screen there just a, a picture of a superhero opening his shirt and seeing the, the big chest with the S in front. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I can't keep up with all the superheroes today. There's a, an embarrassment of superheroes. There's a, a plethora of superheroes. There's, you know, there's your, your Batmans and your Supermans, but there's your, your Wolverines and your Thors and your, um, your Hulks, your She-Hulk, there's a he, He-Hulk and a She-Hulk and a Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman. There's a whole bunch of them. But when I was growing up... Um, there are only two superheroes. That'll date me, but there are only two superheroes. And we used to run home from school every day, myself and my mates, and, and they, were, they were both on TV after school. One was Superman, and uh, the Superman's... Uh, it's, not your, it's not your Superman that you might remember. It's not the Dean Kane Superman. It's not the Henry Cavill Superman. It's not the, uh, um, you know, those super people. It was a George, not even Christopher Reeve Superman. It was a George Reeve Superman. How many people remember George Reeve the Superman? Okay, George Reeves, that's him there. He was the original Superman series filmed in the 50s and uh, showing 50s and 60s. And he wasn't a superhero. George Reeve um, lived to be 45 years of age and then he shot himself in his bedroom one night. That's not the way a superhero would have finished. Um, the other Superman at the time was Batman. And again, I don't mean the Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Robert Pattinson kind of Batman. I'm talking about the Adam West kind of Batman. Remember the Batman looks like that, that when he hit, like uh, Dave hit Andrew Serkin before, a big kapow would come across the screen or a wham or a, any others, a bam, some sort of word would come across. It was that sort of Batman and the Adam West kind of um, Batman. And he died in 2017 and one of his last gigs was voiceovers on, uh, and, and voice, voicing some characters on SpongeBob SquarePants. That's not how a superhero usually finishes either. So we can have all the ideals about superheroes and, and, and we can have the ideals of superheroes as their dad. I, I hope your dad was a superhero. I actually knew um, Dave's dad and that ages me, I know, but uh, Dave's dad was a superhero actually and a great man of God. My dad wasn't. My dad was not a superhero. My mum and dad married when they were 40 years of age, each of them. They'd both been married be before. They'd had two kids each. They'd lost both. Both of them had lost partners um, before that. And they married and had me, kind of the missing link of that family. And, uh, uh, and I was born and, you know, when they were 40. And uh, my dad was a terrible alcoholic. 
He, was a, he wasn't a violent drunk. He wasn't an aggressive drunk. He was a pathetic drunk. He died when I was 12 years of age, at the age of 52, of cirrhosis of the liver in his last, um, his last few weeks together. My doctor, or his doctor, actually, who became my doctor, my doctor actually prescribed him every day a bottle of Johnny Walker whiskey just to keep him going till he died. See, not every dad's a superhero, and you may have had a great dad or a not-so-great dad, and, and I want to talk about what is it that makes a superhero a superhero? What makes a dad a dad? What makes a bloke um, today something of, uh, of value? And I want to talk about one characteristic of superheroes that I think is true of all of them, and that's courage. I want to talk today about courage. What does it mean to have courage if you're a man or you're a, or you're a woman or whoever you are? What does it mean to have courage, particularly emanating out of our faith? What does that look like? And I want to just spell out a couple of aspects of that courage today that I hope makes a difference for us. Three aspects of courage this morning that I trust impact us. I trust we grasp. It's courage to know, firstly, courage to know who you are and what defines you. Courage to know who you are and who and what defines you. It's to understand your true identity. You know, we have a, a primary identity and then we have secondary identity and secondary identities which sort of hover around that. But our primary identity is what the Bible calls your soul. It's that part of you which is the deepest part of you. Your soul is that, that part of you that, is, that God has known and known about from the beginning. Your soul is the part of you that, that God knew. It's the part of you that you were before someone told you who you were. Before you got to the stage of having to get mixed up and tainted by this world, it's that part of you that God created and knew from the beginning. See, one of the things you need to understand about who you are is that existence precedes conception. We have all these debates and arguments today, but when does life start? Does it start at conception? Does it start at birth or somewhere in between? And we sort of argue a lot of moral choices on that decision. However, biblically, you're known before you're anywhere near conception. You existed in God's mind long before you were conceived. Bible says this, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, God says in Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You existed in God's mind long before you were conceived. And that's who God knows you are. But the moment you are born, then all sorts of things happen to you and crowd into you to taint that definition, to taint that identity, to contaminate it, to squeeze it, to squash it, to make it something that it's not, that you were never meant to be. See, when you were born, it's the last day God had you all to himself. And after that, there's lots of things that happened, lots of things that taint, tempt, sin, brokenness that affects you and, 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 and ruins that identity of your soul. It's so important. We sang to our soul this morning. You know that, don't you? Oh, my soul. You sang to yourself, sing to the God of the ages. That's the part of you that, that God loves to nurture. 
but then the rest of you sort of gets caught up in, in that and, and, and you get messed around with that. You, every one of us here today was born with the manufacturer's factory settings for you. They're God's factory settings for you. They're unique. No one else in this seven point something billion people planet has the same factory settings that you had. They were God's chosen factory settings for you. But then along the way, they get tainted. Somebody comes and tinkers with them. Somebody squeeze, systems squeeze them. Sometimes family systems squeeze them. School systems squeeze them. Work systems squeeze them. And you end up becoming, losing that beautiful identity you have and taking on other identities. My dad had his own unique factory settings, but something happened there to squeeze them and break them and change them to become something that he was never meant to be. That's, that's the, the dilemma we have, and you need to understand who you are, who God has created you at that deepest place, because that's your soul. That's what you need to nurture. That's what you need to build. The rest of it is like, let me define it as ego. It's just simply, that was a word that in Greek, just ego means I am. That's the part of it. It's the, it's the you are that, that starts to get built up, that starts to get defined. The minute you are born, you get labels that start to define you in different ways. You're smart, you're dumb. You're pretty, you're plain. You're a guy, you're a girl. You are um, a success or a failure. You're a star or you're an also-ran. All these labels we put on ourselves or we get put on that we, that we accept, they, default, they form a different identity called our ego as opposed to our soul. And the dilemma is both of them, your ego and your soul, both of them are yourself. Both of them are you. They become you. And, and I think that's what, that's what mattered when Jesus said uh, this. He said, then, the, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. In other words, if, if you want to just build your, all your gain and build all your ego, you actually lose your soul. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Whoever's prepared to not try and build that side of you but allow your soul to be nurtured, you'll gain it. You'll have life in all its forms. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for a soul? You see, your ego wants to gain. Your soul wants to surrender. Your ego hates scrutiny. Your, your soul loves authenticity. And it's whether we nurture our soul, which is our true identity, and coming back to that as often as we can, the, the person God created us to be, those factory settings that God put into our life that are unique to you, only you. Not like anyone else. Don't try and be a clone of anyone else. The world is waiting for you. And the way we can see that is to know who you are, to determine who you are, to get that soul which is the deepest part of you, to return to the real Jesus. Oh, my soul, sing to the God of the ages. 
because that's what nurtures my soul. Not, oh, my ego, feed me as much as I can. That's not what it's about. You need to have courage. You need to have courage to understand what your true identity is and not be squashed or squeezed or beyond, away from that. That's really important. That's a courage that we need to have. Second part of courage, I think, is that we particularly see in Jesus is courage to address the truth and the issues of his day. Courage to address the truth and the issues of the day. He never shied away from doing what was right. He never shied away from the truth and from addressing the truth. And he did it out of a relationship with his father that we ought to take note of. Why don't you just, I'm going to read just a couple of scriptures in a moment and just take these in. Take these in to understand the the connection, the interconnection between Jesus and his father and you and me and Jesus and his father. John 14 says this, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. goes on in that same chapter. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Just start to picture and imagine this extraordinary connection that you have. Next chapter. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not, if I had not done among them, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they've seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Same chapter. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. There's an incredible, incredible connection, incredible surrender, one to the other, to the Father. It's extraordinary. And it leaves Jesus with an extraordinary Resolve a furious resolve to do only what the Father says and, and say what the Father said. And in fact, there's one scripture that says he's, the way he actually says it is how Jesus says it. Not just the words, but the way he would say it. And it caused Jesus to have the great courage of his convictions and stand forthright in the world in which he lived. He was forthright and stood up, for example, in the face of religious hypocrisy. The religious hypocrisy was a big deal in his day. And he stood up against it and said some extraordinary words. He, said, he talks of the religious leaders. He says, you pray long prayers, but you rip off widows. You like to look good in the uh, religious times, but you rip off people. He says, you, you work hard to make one, conf- one convert, and then you teach them all the rubbish that you live. You work hard to do that. He says, you, you look good on the outside, but inside you're like dead men's bones. He said, you pay your tithes, but you've got no justice and no mercy. You know, you speak that way to religious heavies of the day, 
and your life's going to be shortened. As of course it was. He speaks not just to religious heavies, he speaks to cruel dictatorship and, and, and cruel leadership of his day. One of the leaders in his area was a, a man called Herod Antipas, who was one of the sons of the Herod the Great, who was around when Jesus was born, and he died. Now his sons have taken over. One of those was a man called Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was, was, uh, was married in a political marriage. He uh, was married to the daughter of a neighboring king, the king of Nabatea, who was a, a close-by, very powerful um, neighborhood and it's a, it's a pretty smart thing to marry the daughter of someone who's a potential enemy. That's a good political move to make. And, and he did do that. And things were going along swimmingly for Herod Antipas until he fell in love with another woman called Herodias. Who happened to be his other brother's wife, by the way, just to confuse things, make it a bit more difficult. And the trouble is, if you're going to follow through with Herodias, you have to divorce his first wife. And of course, dad on the other side of the border, doesn't like that. And the historians tell us that there was a fight and, and, and the armies of Nabatea, under the king of Nabatea, 20,000 strong, came to fight the armies of Herod, who were 10,000 strong, and beat them to a pulp. Which you lose a bit of ground if you're a, if you're a Herod and you get beaten to a pulp. You lose a little bit of credibility. But it happened for him. That was just history in Jesus' time. And then Jesus tells a story. I love this because it's kind of, uh, you kind of go, wow. He tells a story to his, to his people around him. Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he's enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So that's the initial story. And people go, oh yeah, that's a crazy thing to do, to start something and you haven't got the resources to finish it. That's a bit dumb. Then he goes on and he tells the real story. That's just a sort of introduction. Or suppose a king is able to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? See, this is the real story. Jesus didn't pluck the story out of the air. This isn't a story in a vacuum. This is history. This is front page news in the Palestine Herald. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, what Jesus is saying, and nobody would have missed it, what sort of a feather-brained leader would think about going to war against an army twice his size and think he's going to win? Nobody was under any misillusions about what Jesus was talking about. He's talking straight to Herod in his face, not afraid, Courageous, that stuff will get you killed. You need courage to, to, to stand up, to believe, to address. He's a straight shooter. I could tell you more and more stories that, where history matches Scripture. Let me tell you one other. And Jesus faced the issues of his day. In his day, there was enormous racism in the day of Jesus. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. All of them, both of them, hated this little group of people not far away in Samaria called Samaritans. 
So Jesus tells a story that just unfortunately really has just simply become a Sunday school story about a good Samaritan. And we know that story. In fact, people outside the church know that story well. But we lose its significance because the hero of that story is not a priest and not a Levi. In fact, they're kind of the villains. But the hero of that story is a hated Samaritan. And we have no idea what that would have meant to the people whom Jesus told. And remember that Jesus, you know, when scriptures say he went around all the area teaching and they were amazed at his teaching. I wouldn't be surprised if he, didn't, he taught the story 20, 30 times in his travels. We've only got it once. But it would have been a story he probably told going around. He wasn't afraid to address the issues of his day, including the issue of racism that was there in his day. Still exists, to be honest. He had the courage of his convictions to stand up and say what was true, not to just coalesce and flop around, but he had the courage of his truth and his convictions. The third one is, is, I want to say courage. I want to encourage you and me to grab this courage. And it's courage to trust the presence of God in you. It's courage to trust the presence of God in you. And why I say that is we have a potential to live in a passive Christian faith. We have the potential to say, well, God's great. We'll sit back and wait to see what God does. We'll just sit back and, 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 and kind of enjoy God or invoke God. But I want to say to you, you need to trust that God trusts you more than you trust yourself in many ways. God wants to work through you and and the God of the Scriptures, the powerful God of the Bible, is not just working through the people who we, we look to, the people, maybe the people on the platform or people who we, have, who we podcast or whatever. God wants to work through any person. And He wants to, if you've come to faith in Jesus, He can use you in extraordinary ways. In fact, He can actually use you if you haven't. And God has deposited his spirit into your life to give you the resource, which is the permanent presence of Jesus in you. And if you've come to faith in Jesus, you know his spirit dwells within you. You read this, he says in John 14, If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for listen to this, for he lives with you and will be in you. Will be in you. Not around you, not next to you, in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He's a great father. John chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Not to them, from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. means he hadn't been crucified yet. That's when the new covenant came into being. And now as a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of the living God living in you as rivers of living water, not not little streams, not spurts, rivers of living water. 
And now the trajectory of the Spirit in your life is not from outside in, like we sometimes think it is and we talk about it like it is. The trajectory is from inside out. Rivers of living water from within you, impacting us, impacting our worship, impacting our generosity, impacting everything we are. There are rivers there wanting to come out and impact the world in which we live. God trusts you more than you trust yourself. It's not for special people. It's for those who come to faith in Jesus. His spirit lives within us. You are more important in the work of Jesus than you think. You're much more important in the work of Jesus than you think you are. God works through you, wants to work through you, can work through you if we will trust him. When the spirit of God lives within us, um, it changes everything. Changes everything. Changes your generosity. I see. I know people who say to me, oh, "I'm generous. I tithe every week," and they wouldn't buy you a coffee, but they tithe every week religiously. That's not generosity. That's law. You come to worship, and it's not like we have to coax the spirit down from the atmosphere somewhere. No, we bring the spirit with us, and we. Rivers of living water flow in worship. It makes a difference to everything. You are more important in the work of God than you think you are. Let me, let me give you one illustration and one biblical example of that. As, I hear this, as I'm here this morning, when, as you're here, you hear two voices. You hear what I say, and then you hear what you say about what I say. Don't you? So I say... Something, and you say to yourself, well, I'm not sure about that. Or, amen, or I'm going to talk to him after, I'm going to bail him up in the foyer and abuse him. Whatever you might want to do. And what you say about what I say has far more importance and far more gravity than what I say. Because no matter what I say, if you don't agree with it, it won't have any impact in your life at all. You're more important than you think you are. The same is true with God. God says stuff to us and then we say stuff to us about what God says to us. We hope it's the same. But if it's not the same, what we say about what God says has more weight in our life than what God says. God says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And we say, God, you don't know my boss. I'm not praying for him. I'm not loving him. So what you say about what God says has more gravity or weight in your life than what God says. You hope it's the same. That's the idea, to get good alignment with God. But you're more important in the work of God than you think you are because it's not just about what he says, it's about what you say about what he says. I'm going to just kind of conclude with a tremendous story which just shows how important God wants to use you and trust you to make a difference in this world himself. And it's, it's a story that comes out of Luke chapter 7 where there's a centurion who's not a, a local. He's a Roman who's living in Palestine. And so he, he's a God-fearing man, but he, you wouldn't say he's a follower of Jesus. 
But his centurion is very sick. His, his servant's very sick of this centurion. And he knows enough about Jesus to know that he does some really neat and cool stuff when he's called upon. So he gets together the elders of the area, who are Jewish men, and he says, I wonder if you could go off and find Jesus, because I know that he can bring healing. I wonder if you can invite Jesus to, to come to my place and, and heal my servant. So the people go off and the elders go off and they find Jesus and they tell him the story and Jesus and his entourage are coming to the man's place. But before he gets there, the man has had some thoughts and he sends some of his friends off to tell Jesus, don't bother coming. I know if you just say the word, he'll be healed. Because you're a man under authority and I'm a man under authority. We understand that. All you've got to do is say that and he'll be healed. And Jesus stops, doesn't go to the house. He stops in his tracks. And he turns to the people around about him and says, um, I've never seen such faith as this in all Israel. This is what he says. Jesus heard this. He was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even as in Israel. Then the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, there's, I don't know about you, but up until that point of time, Jesus has done some extraordinary things. He's healed lepers. He's freed demonized people. He's healed people. There's a, there's a story about four men who vandalize a house to get their friend down the roof to where Jesus is talking to get healed. So there's an extraordinary amount of faith already there. And yet now Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. What is it about this particular situation that causes Jesus to say that? I've puzzled about that for weeks, a little while ago. What is it about that? And here's what I've come up with. Here's the only thing I can, I can think that he says that because this is the first time, this is why it's, it's important for you and me, it's the first time anyone has trusted Jesus to do something like this without him being there in person. Jesus stops him and says, I know, you just got to say the word. You didn't have to be there. You just got to say the word. See how important it is for us because Jesus isn't here with us physically. You just got to say the word and he'll be healed. Jesus goes, wow, I've not seen faith like that before in all of Israel. Not seen faith like that. He just knows I can do it. It's fascinating to me, though, that Jesus was actually on the way. So he knew he could do it, but he still went. But the, guy, the guy's faith, the guy's faith was enough to say, that's enough. It's amazing to me how God trusts us to do stuff we don't think is going to work through us. We can do. Who, who would have thought that people get healed by touching Paul's handkerchief? Who decided that? God didn't say do that. People decided that. Now it's not it's not a new theology. Don't get don't develop a hanky theology. You know, we just got to do that and it's all got no, no, no. It's just that people exercised faith to that degree and God honored it. It's not naming or claiming. It's not any of that stuff. Just God honouring faith. Who would have thought that people get healed standing in Peter's shadow? God didn't say go and stand in Peter's shadow. People just decided to do it. 
God healed them. Amazing trust. You're more important in the work of God than you think you are. You need to have the courage to believe that. It's not just for you know, certain people who are the super spiros of, of the world, super spiritual people. No, 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 no. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the personal presence of Jesus in the person of his Spirit dwells within you, wanting to get out like rivers of living water and make a difference in the world in which you live. We're not passive as people. It's not presumption. It's not name it and claim it. It's not my entitlement as a child of the king. No, it's God working in you and through you. It's realizing how much more important. See, let me, let me read to you this scripture. It's, it's a scripture we quote so often. It comes from Ephesians 3. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We love that scripture. We love it to stop there. We usually do let it stop there. God's able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Look what it says. According to his power that is at work within us. Not that sort of in the atmosphere or whatever. According to his power that is at work within you and me who claim to follow Jesus. It's extraordinary. Extraordinary. Extraordinary it is. The courage to trust the presence of God in you will be one of the greatest acts of courage you ever express as a follower of Jesus. To have the courage of a superhero, it's courage to know who you are and where your identity truly is and that your soul is the part of you which is to be, it's that purest part of you that God knew from the beginning and that's to be nurtured and to be developed, to be encouraged. It's it's the courage to address the truth, tell the truth, live the truth, and address the issues of our day when they cross the boundaries of truth. Do not be afraid to speak up and be honest. And it's the courage to trust the presence of God in you. I'm going to pray for us this morning that we have courage, that our courage grows, that our courage develops. For some of us, as we've been believers for a long time and, and yet we've, the courage has sort of dwindled somewhat. It's okay for other people. They're, they're the ones with the real Christian courage. No, you are. You are. Today might be a time to make that courageous choice. To know, and you and afresh, I'm going to do that. Maybe here today you don't know Jesus, you haven't come to that place, you're still exploring that. Well, let me tell you, when you explore it and come to a place of faith, then the Spirit of God dwells within you and all of a sudden you're made, you're a new creation. You're brand new. You're not like you were. Lots of, we look the same. We sometimes come into grips with getting rid of some of those stuff that was in our life, but you're a new creation. And God wants to nurture that new creation. You can do that today. Just take the step of courage, whatever that is for you, and see God doing his work miraculously and wonderfully in your life. Can we all stand and pray because we're going to sing as we close. So let's stand together. I want to pray for courage for us to make a difference. Oh, Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. You are the great God of the universe. You're the Father of creation. Father, I just thank you so much for 
Father, Son, and Spirit who are so interconnected and who work together to make a a difference in our lives and in our world. Father, I pray that you will give us courage today to understand our true identity, to not be squeezed and squashed, to take identities that are less than the identity you've given us. Lord, give us courage for that today. Father, I pray that you'll give us courage to stand and be truthful and and be truth givers and truth livers and address those things around about us, those things that we read in newspapers and see on TV that are wrong, that we stand up, God. And Father, I pray that you'll give us the courage to know your eternal presence in our lives, in the person of your Spirit, and that you trust us to work and to, more than we trust ourselves, God, would you help us have that faith courage to live. And Lord, for those of us who've been in this journey for a while now, just keep sparking that courage. Keep feeding that, Lord God. Help us do that. For those who are exploring that or haven't yet come, Lord, help them see that a life with Jesus, a life indwelt by your Spirit is life. Not just a life, it is life. Would you give us the courage to make those choices? We pray it in His name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.